What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey friends, thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Well, we remember when Donald Trump said, uh, I alone can fix it. Yeah, it looks like he might have to because there might not be anybody left the way they're gone. Hey, 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 hey. What do you say, folks? How about it? Guess who's back? Great to see you. The Bill Press Show with me, Bill Press, today. Joining all of you nationwide to talk about the news of the day, figure out what the hell is going on and what it all means. So good to see you today on this Thursday, Thursday, March 8, booming out to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we perch just down the street from the United States Congress to keep our eye on them. Uh, And again, just about five metro stops away from the White House, so we can keep track on that end of Pennsylvania Avenue as well. Lots and lots going on. It looks like now the White House uh, has a little wiggle room on these tariffs, which Donald Trump uh, just unilaterally announced last week without consulting with anybody. Uh, Now he says maybe we can give an exemption for a little while to Canada and Mexico. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Gary Cohn, chief economic advisor, I know you've talked about this, so upset about this, so much against it, so convinced it will harm the economy, uh, the American economy and the global economy, that he is stepping down as the president's chief economic advisor. Meanwhile, Jeff Sessions is on the warpath against California, filing a lawsuit against California, and California is striking back. Uh, California, um, these, this is over the immigration issue, uh, and California, the least f- Trump-friendly state of the entire nation, which is why I'm proud to be a Californian. Anyway, we'll cover all of that and a hell of a lot more with you today. Uh, look forward to hearing from you. Good to be back. Hearing your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Let us know what you think about the big stories of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Okay, one of the greatest mysteries of our time may have been Uh-oh. solved, Bill. Uh-oh. This goes back all the way to 1940, where on the Pacific island of Nikumararo, they found some bones. Amelia which they thought Earhart. might belong to Amelia Earhart. Uh-huh. Now, back then in 1940, they did a forensic analysis of the bones that turned out that the bones were of a male. 
Aha. Well, here's the problem. We've actually made a lot of advancements in terms of how we do forensic analysis. Yeah. And they did DNA testing, and they put it all together. Recently, uh, this is a study uh, from the University of Tennessee, Professor Richard Jantz got the bones, tested them, and turned out that there is a 99% probability that those bones belong to Amelia Earhart. Whoa. So it might, it's been solved. Yeah. It's huh. been solved. They say that it, it is uh, forensic analysis shows that those are her bones. She died on this island, Nukumararo. In the Pacific uh, is, is where she she finally died. Did they find any traces of a plane? No traces of a plane. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like, in this piece, they point out that when they found the bones, they found, like, a little army medic box that had some valuables in it. And they found a woman's shoe, which is weird that back then they, they said that yeah. these were male bones because they were it was definitely a woman's shoe. But uh, they didn't find any, They didn't find the plane, so they're not sure what exactly happened. But we can now put that one to bed. That mystery has been solved. Uh, by the way, remember Donald Trump where he bragged about how he got those UCLA basketball players out of jail in China? Oh, yeah. Because right. they were shoplifting. And they were already out of jail. Well, it turns out, yes, a new ESPN report shows, shows, shows that Donald Trump, went out and bragged about how he got these guys out of jail when it turns out that they had actually been out of jail for about 12 hours. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Right. <laughs> so they just followed the timeline of Leangelo Ball, Jalen Hill, and Cody Riley, the three UCLA basketball players. Turns out Donald Trump just sort of took credit for it when they were well out of jail. Uh, Laval Bell, right? He's the father. Laval Ball is the Laval, father, right, yeah. Right. He pointed out they were back in their hotel room yeah. When, yeah. when Donald Trump... This is the Bill Press Show. Indeed it is. And when Donald Trump says, I alone can fix it, little did we know that he knew what he was talking about because probably in another month, there won't be anybody left at the White House except Donald Trump. Hell, he'll be answering the phone the way things are going now. What do you say, folks? Great to see you today. And it's good to be back with you. Bill Press here for the Bill Press Show. Live from our nation's capital on this Thursday, March 8. Great to see you, and thank you for being part of the program. And again, we are with you on every single platform that we can find online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On television, on the great free speech TV nationwide, and on the radio in Indiana, on Indianapolis, uh, I'm sorry, in Indiana Talks, and out in the greater Chicago area, hello, WCPT, heading your way on April 4. We'll find out more about that. But it's great to join you today in the Chicago area on WCPT. And I'm back from a, a couple of days um, with the American Council of Life Insurers and their annual convention uh, where I was the MC out in Las Vegas. I'd like to tell you uh, all about my time in Las Vegas, but I can't because you know the rule. Yeah, you're not allowed to talk about no, it. No, no, that's right. Uh, that's what I love. Las love. That's why I love Las Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But a big shout out to uh, Jason Dick and to Sabrina Siddiqui and to our own Peter Ogburn for filling in for the last uh, three days and keeping the good ship lollipop afloat somehow. I uh, haven't seen you since um, 
Friday night, I had the chance to just got to tell you a little bit about it. The gridiron dinner. It is a it's a weird kind of dinner, but it's a, a, a quite an event. The the gridiron dinner has been around since 1855. Okay, figure out the math. I think that's about 133 years. Every president since William McKinley has attended this dinner. Uh, it is the only white tie dinner, by the way, left in Washington, D.C. And it's the second time I've been. It's amazing to me the people who are there, cabinet members, ambassadors, Republican legislators, members of Congress, senators, Democratic members, and then the president, the vice president, the attorney general, um, many members, top members of the administration, and everybody who's anybody in the national media, not just from Washington, from but from New York. There are only 65 members of the Gridiron Club, but they get 600 people out for this dinner. Uh, and it's a dinner where they have spoofs roasting Democrats and roasting Republicans. There's a Democratic speaker and a Republican speaker. By the way, the Democratic speaker, Mitch Landrew. <clears throat> The head of the uh, uh, mayor of New Orleans. Yes, sir. He was excellent. Yeah, he was really. Uh, There's a lot of talk about him running for president, Bill. Uh, a lot of buzz. Talk about a Democrat in a uh, in a in a uh, red state that can they can actually uh, get his message to resonate. No, and talk about a Democrat outside of Washington who has some appeal. Oh yeah, I like him. I like him a lot. He did an excellent job. The Republican talk uh, speech was given by. Uh, <clears throat> Tom Cotton from North Carolina. Well, talk about the other end of the uh, spectrum. <laughs> uh, yeah, talk about lack of talent. I mean, not ready for prime time. It was pretty painful. Yeah. Um, and then the president talked. And I got to tell you, everybody thought, how's he going to pull this off? Trump was actually, he went off the rails several times. Yeah, he had to go off the rails, call Nancy Pelosi crazy, say Maxine Waters should have to take an IQ test, all that kind of stuff when he gets to his riffing. But um, otherwise, some of his lines were uh, were pretty funny. He started out by even poking uh, fun at some members of his administration, uh, saying, for example, that uh, uh, Jeff Sessions, who was right on the on at the head table with him, said that uh, he had offered Jeff Sessions a ride to the dinner, uh, but Sessions recused himself. <laughs> uh, also at the head table was uh, Jared Kushner. I tweeted out a picture of Jared Kushner, whether I'm allowed to or not, and. Um, and the president said that uh, he said, you know, I'm sorry we were late getting here tonight. We had a, we had a hard time getting in. We had a hard time getting in because we couldn't get Jared through security. Oh God! <laughs> uh, and he poked fun at the media. But all in all, it was a um, it was a good evening. One of those evenings where we don't uh, that we don't have enough of uh, in Washington, in my opinion, where you just let the barriers down and get together and just have a good time, uh, have a good dinner, have a couple of drinks. And, um, and and look for some commonality rather than the constant uh, partisan battles. But I've got to tell you, I'm sure today Donald Trump wishes he were at the gridiron dinner having yucking it up than dealing with Stormy Daniels. Oh, my God. This thing. So this story has been around for a couple of months now, right? And and by the way, just for the record, Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday again said, look, the American people knew about this last in, in 2016, 
and they voted for Donald Trump anyhow, and he's president of the United States. No, they did not. This we knew about access Hollywood. Lots of tapes. other women. We knew about twenty other women who had accused him of sexual assault. This is not Stormy Daniels is not claiming sexual assault. She just said she had an affair with Donald Trump that lasted about a year. It started right after Barron was born. And this story came out, uh, by the way, not on CNN, not on HuffPost, in the Wall Street Journal in January of this year. Uh, Donald Trump denied it. And then we found out that Michael Cohen, the president's attorney, uh, well, we found out she had been paid $130,000 in hush money not to talk about this affair. Then we find out that Michael Cohen, the president's attorney, claims that he's the one who paid that $130,000 out of his own pocket. Donald Trump didn't know anything about it. And that was a couple of weeks ago, and everybody thought the story was sort of clamped down. Well, then what happened is now Stormy Daniels yesterday, her attorney, sued the White House because this deal allegedly that they reached among between her and the president that she wouldn't talk about it, this non-disclosure deal, she signed it. Donald Trump never did. So now they're saying, going into court, saying the deal is bogus, it's not legit, and she has a right to tell her entire story. And look, I'm not an attorney, but it seems to me they got a good case. Well, here's the thing, right? With a case like this, it really comes down to the details, R- really. And Stormy Daniels' attorney put out the agreement. Yeah, yeah, the showed agreement. the agreement. Showed the actual right. agreement and showed that there were four little places to sign, right? Yeah, yep. and, and Stormy Daniels, they used an alias for her in the agreement, and they used an alias for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they show Stormy Daniels' alias, where she signed, her attorney, where he signed, Donald Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, where he signed, and then a space for a man by the name of David Dennison. <laughs> and her yeah. attorney says that was the agreed-upon fake name that we were going to use for Donald Trump so that we could say we have an right. agreement under these terms. And these are the aliases. And that place where he was supposed to sign was blank. There's right. nothing there. There's nothing there. And then, so look, like, uh, yeah, it's and pretty I, cut and dry. I think it's pretty cut and dry. And then they, uh, so this came up at the briefing yesterday, and Sarah Huckabee Sanders dropped another bomb. She suddenly says, now remember, the story is, never happened, Donald Trump denies it, but still his attorney, Michael Cohen, out of the goodness of his heart, Donald Trump knew nothing about it, paid her $130,000. That was her story until yesterday when Sarah Huckabee Sanders suddenly drops this word about an arbitration agreement. As I outlined earlier, that this case had already been won in arbitration um, and that there was no knowledge of uh, any payments from the president, and he's denied all of these allegations. Oh, that's the first time we ever heard about any arbitration. And with a little digging, reporters are now have now shown that there was an arbitration discussion as recently as last week between the president's attorney and Stormy Daniels. So get it what this means? They've just dug this hole deeper and deeper. Now they're admitting that in the White House, Donald Trump 
is working with his attorneys to shut this woman up. And he, so the old question about what did the president know and when did he know it? She let the cat out of the bag yesterday. Right. I mean, he is right in the middle of these, of this, of this story. And you know what? She is going to, I think, um, the worst that could happen is she'll tell her story and Donald Trump will sue her for breaking the arbitration agreement. But I think before, and so what? Before that, I think she's going to win this battle in court, and the judge is going to say, no, that's not a valid agreement. You can go and, and, and tell your story. It's kind of beautiful how this is the perfect convergence of Donald Trump, in, like, in a nutshell, right? Like, it's Donald Trump the victim, Donald Trump the, the cover, like, the guy who covers everything up, Donald Trump the guy that lies about everything. Or say Donald Trump the liar. Donald Trump, yeah. yeah, like, everything together, it's just all perfectly bundled up in this story. And, like, look, if he fights this, there is some admission that this actually happened. Of course, of course. Uh, so she has dropped a little uh, hints about kind of what happened, by the way, along the way, uh, just to kind of tease us. She said that she met uh, Donald Trump at a uh, golf tournament up at Lake Tahoe. Uh, she was one of several porn stars who were there just to give a little, you know, extra pizzazz to this golf tournament. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump meets her during the day and he said, uh, let's uh, let's have dinner tonight. Can I take you to dinner uh, and she said, sure. And when she showed up at his hotel room, she said that he she realized that he didn't really have uh, dinner is not what he had in mind, uh, because she goes to his hotel room and he's wearing a p- pair of pajama pants. Uh, yeah, God, I don't even want to think about that. And everything went uh, downhill or I don't know, uphill from there at any rate. But one thing, you know, for sure. Right. Republicans on the Hill, of course, don't want to talk about this. And everybody is saying, what does this matter? This is a long time ago. And we know he's not perfect. Um, Just think about this. If Barack Obama paid $130,000 to a porn star not to talk about the affair, I mean, not, not only would we have congressional hearings, endless congressional hearings, we would have had an impeachment. We would have impeachment hearings, right? Well, by the way, any other president. Any other president. Any other president. Any other president. And by the way, also, he'd be dead because Michelle would have killed him. <laughs> there is that. There is that, right? I mean, so, yeah. Just kind of put that in perspective there. At any rate, meanwhile, it is war on California. Jeff Sessions declaring war on California. He actually went out to the state capitol, the Sacramento. Speaking to a group of law enforcement agencies and accused the state of preventing the feds from doing their job, or he's particularly talking about preventing ICE from doing its job of rounding up undocumented workers and deporting them. Here he is in Sacramento. California, California won't let law enforcement officers like you and your people to transfer prisoners to ICE custody, or even to communicate with ICE that you're about to release them from your custody. People that ICE is looking for. And then uh, he actually, he also went after uh, not just the Attorney General of California and the Governor of California, but the Mayor of Oakland, California, Libby Schaff, who last week, we remember, um, 
she knew that ICE was about to uh, start a great big raid in the Oakland area, so she put out the word, hey, watch out, they're coming for you. Here's my message to Mayor Schaaf. How dare you? How, How dare you dare needlessly you? endanger the lives of our law enforcement officers to promote a radical open borders agenda? Well, if he thought he was going to scare California, he, he, he better think again, because California is going to fight back. California will take this all the way to the uh, to the Supreme Court. And by the way, just just so you know what what, what this is all about. California passed three laws last year. That said, if Donald Trump wants to crack down on und- and and again, let me back up even further. Coming from California, yeah, I grew up in Delaware, but thirty years in California, fighting these immigration battles for a long time. California is way ahead of any other state in experiencing illegal immigration and dealing with it, and and depending on uh, undocumented workers for so much of its industry. And dealing with that issue as well. Uh, and I've really taken the lead, I think, in a very balanced approach to the Im- whole immigration problem. And California has just said, we're not going to follow this um, ugly anti-immigrant policy that put out policies put out by the Trump administration. So last year, the state legislature and the governor signed uh, three different bills. One says that if you are a uh, in a in a business um, like a 7-Eleven or whatever, uh, you are prohibited from, you see somebody coming in with a dark skin, getting on the phone and calling ICE and just saying, hey, somebody here looks suspicious. Can't do that, right? Which happens in a lot of other states. Uh, secondly, it says, there's a law that says, if you're a local law, uh, law police department, and let's say you stop somebody for um, a traffic a traffic stop, or even somebody for a non, some kind of a non, suspected of shoplifting or something, and and they're in your custody and you release them, you can't call ICE and say, hey, we just let this guy out and you know, or we just turned this guy loose and here's where he is. And thirdly, the third bill they passed allows the states to go into the federal detention centers and inspect them. Because there are a lot of reports about foul conditions, about unsanitary conditions, about violence, and about rape, sexual assault in these federal detention centers. And so it allows states to go in and make sure that everything's up, up, up above board. Uh, those are the three laws that Jeff Sessions says are hindering the work of ICE and that they think the state is abusing its power by passing those laws. Um Jerry Brown yesterday had a news conference with Attorney General Javier Becerra, where Jerry Brown said, you know what this is all about? Little Donnie is just, I mean, little Jeffy is just trying to make little Donnie happy. This Attorney General is maybe he's trying to keep his job because uh, the Attorney General, the President's not too uh, happy with him. But we here are going to stick uh, to the facts. Uh, we're going to stick to the law. And uh, certainly we'll meet uh, this litigation uh, fully. That's such a great little smackdown. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, such so, a great uh, little smackdown. Like, but you look, know, that's look ex- Jeff, we know you're you're not yeah. happy, or your boss is not happy with you. But that's exactly what it is, it's, right? Of course it is. Yeah. Sessions keeps doing these things like this so that Donald Trump will say nice things about him, which, of course, Donald Trump never does. To be fair, Jeff Sessions loves this stuff, too, right? But, oh, yes, yeah. this is oh, yeah. purely so that his boss will give him a good pat on the head. Right, right. And by the way, I just got to say, 
To me, the irony of this and the disgusting aspect of this, okay, so this is a, an attorney general, Jeff Sessions, who is saying California, the state of California, does not have the power to treat immigrants fairly, if you will. This is the same racist Jeff Sessions who used the battle cry, states' rights, for most of his public career to support segregation now and segregation forever, right? So, I mean, come on, Jeff Sessions. You know, don't don't try to, to, to pretend here to be the big defender of federal rights over states' rights. Isn't it funny how the Republicans can change their, oh, their stripes on these on that issue? But back and forth. Sure, yeah. And by the way, yeah, I mean... On uh, a number of different issues. Yeah, I was just going to say, we're off on a little tangent here, but how about the marijuana laws, right? Barack Obama and, and Eric Holder, who were not did not support legalization of pot, simply said, if those states do it and they decide to do it, and they do it in a careful way... We'll let them. We'll let them do that, right? Um, Conservatives should be on board with yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. You right? would think. You would think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about net neutrality? There are like fifteen states now that have said, "No, we're not going to uh, abandon net neutrality. We think net neutrality is the way to go." And the, the Trump administration is out there saying, "No, no, no, no. You can't. You have to do what we tell you. You states don't have the right." So you know they use it and they don't use it, depending. So. Anyhow, uh, the other point that Jerry Brown made about Jeff Sessions is that everything he says about California impeding the work of ICE is wrong. He's just lying. Like so many in the Trump administration, this attorney general has no regard for the truth. That's a very polite way of saying you're a liar. You're a liar, right. And also uh, Jerry Brown saying, okay, you want to take it to the Supreme Court? Let's go. This lawsuit, they're talking about going to the to the uh, Supreme Court. This lawsuit is going to last a lot longer than the Trump administration. Yeah. And you know what? Basically, California and other states are saying to, uh, to the Trump administration and to ICE, okay, you do your job, but we're not going to do it for you. What they want is they want every business, if they see anybody that they suspect of being here, in, uh, undocumented, they want the, they want people to call up and and inform ICE. So I, and they want the local police department to say, "Hey, we got a brown guy in here. You know, maybe you ought to come look at him because it looks suspicious to us." They want other people to do their dirty work. And California is saying, "Hell no!" You know, we have sanctuary cities, and if these people, by the way, they've well, these laws make it very very clear if there's anybody who's con- committed a felony, any violent crime at all. Yeah, they'll turn them over to ICE. We're just talking about, other than coming here illegally, law-abiding people who've done nothing wrong. They've got jobs, they're paying taxes, they've got their families, but ICE wants them out of the country just because they happen to have come here illegally, and California's not going not gonna to go along with that. So that's, uh, that's a battle to watch, man. That is a real battle to watch. Florida, we're supposed to be happy because the Florida legislature passed... Uh, that's a headline today. Florida legislature passes gun control legislation. You know, what a joke. What a joke. Total joke. All right. So they did three things. Number one, they said, okay, we're going to have a three-day waiting period for buying a long gun. Okay. Totally avoiding the question of why do we need these assault rifles in the first place, right? Come on. They're just avoiding the question. 
Waiting three days doesn't solve the problem. A second thing they did was, okay, now you have to be 21, not just 18. We're going to raise the age from 18 to 21. Senator Bill Nelson from Florida threw some cold water on that yesterday, correctly so. 21 is not going to solve the problem. It would have been the case of this killer. But look at the other killers. They were over 21. Yeah. The average age that, uh, a, going up was like 35 or 37, right? I mean, you got to get it back to people should not have access to these military rifles. It's so, I mean, it's, it's so no indicative of, of how Republican-led legislatures act on these things. They just deal with the, the absolute smallest amount that they can get away with at the exact time, right? They don't look forward to, like, stopping right. problems before they happen. They just have very tiny reactions to, like, what just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it literally is the least they could do. And the third thing they did was just saying that schools uh, are making it easier for schools to hire more armed officers. That's just more guns on campus, right? And uh, we saw how effective that was in Parkland, Florida. Uh, So this is just uh, in Florida, which is the New Yorker has a great piece this week about how the NRA just owns and rules Florida. To that extent, it's somewhat of a surprise that Florida did anything at all. But seriously, don't give them credit for doing anything meaningful. It's just um, it's just a showpiece to pretend that they're taking this problem seriously. Although I must say this, um, at least Florida did something. The United States Congress, not yeah. a peep. Crickets. Not a peep. Yeah, totally. Um, meanwhile, Gary Cohn, I know you talked about this a lot while I was gone, but you know, I, I remember uh, last Thursday or Friday we talked about this. At that time, 34% of, that's the number I remember using, 34% of the president's top appointees when he came in had already left in the first year. Uh, with Gary departure of Gary Cohn and a few others since, it's now up to 43%. New York Times points out front, front page this morning, 40, 43% departure rate. Uh, in the Trump White House. Record high turnover for any president. Uh, and Donald Trump insists this is all um, part of the game, and this is healthy, and it, he loves his turnover. It just proves how many people want to work for him. Believe me, everybody wants to work in the White House. They all want a piece of that Oval Office. They want a piece of the West Wing. No, I think it shows that nobody wants to work in this White House. right. Yeah. Right. I mean, because when you think about it, it is stunning. This is the president's chief economic advisor. We've seen the acting attorney general. We've seen the chief of staff. We've seen the press secretary. We've seen this chief strategist, his staff secretary, Five communications directors, a deputy attorney generals. I mean, the the top positions that have for people have either been fired or have quit is really stunning. These are not just low level jobs; they're very top people. And again, you know, Rex Tillerson, H.R. McMaster, rumored to be leaving, and then Jeff Sessions out there. No matter hard, how hard he tries, if Donald Trump could get rid of him, he would. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that's a, that's like a, part of the part of the problem, right? Like Mick Mulvaney, 
he's got two different hats. So yeah. if you were to get rid of John Kelly and move Mick Mulvaney over, which has been rumored to be one of the things that happened, then you've got two positions you've got to fill, right? The OMB and the uh, CFPB. So it's like they they really backed themselves into a corner where they can't afford to lose many other people. And like with the Gary Cohn thing, right? We talked about this a little bit yesterday. He had a deputy. And this is the classic Washington game, right? You get a job as deputy, yeah, you just wait right. it out until your boss leaves or gets fired or whatever, and then like it's yours for the taking. Well, he left back in December. <laughs> Gary Cohn's deputy. So like there's nobody there. Donald Trump is there. I <laughs> I alone can I alone can fix it. Yeah. Yep. Well, guess what? You're going to have to because there ain't nobody else left. <laughs> Somebody answer the phone. Oh, there's nobody here to answer the phone. <laughs> Take a quick break and back with a man who uh, keeps his uh, is up to date on all the political uh, happenings here in the country, particularly on the Democratic side. Adam Parkamenko, Democratic strategist, joining us next here on the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And on the Thursday, March 8th, welcome back, everybody. With the news of the day, it is the Bill Press Show reaching out to you nationwide and brought to you today by our good friends at the AFT. Yes, indeed. The American Federation of Teachers. What a great victory in West Virginia. And just showing if teachers hang together and stand together, they can win together. Great victory for the AFT, Teachers of America, actually, uh, in West Virginia under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program, and direct you to their website at AFT.org. The latest, just quickly, on the tariff front. You know that uh, the president last week, just basically off the cuff in a meeting with some industry leaders, said, uh, he was going to Im- unilaterally and by executive order impose uh, 25% tariff on steel, 10% tariff on aluminum. Uh, without any details, they're still trying to work out the details. A hundred mem- Republican members of Congress have written to the president asking him to drop the whole idea, which he won't. But the White House said yesterday, well, maybe we'll give a 30-day exemption uh, to Canada and to Mexico uh, if they play nice in terms of uh, um, some changes to NAFTA, we'll let them off the hook for 30 days, uh, subject to continuing off the hook if they continue to play nice. Uh, bottom line is, <laughs> on this issue, like on many other issues, Donald Trump and the White House don't know what the hell they're doing. Uh, stay tuned. Meanwhile, Democrats very happy about a big, strong showing in the Texas primary more Democrats turning out to vote in Texas than have turned out for decades. Uh, it's got the Republicans scared about what that might mean uh, in the fall with a strong Democratic candidate up against Ted Cruz. On that front and many other um, you know, battles facing the Democrats, the Democrats face and challenges in this 2018 midterms, uh, we welcome to the program Adam Parkamenko, who is a Democratic strategist, former um, Democratic advisor to our nominee, Hillary Clinton. Hello, Good to be Adam. with you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. What happened in Texas? I was going to say, the last time I was uh, on your show, I had hair, and you and uh, Pat Buchanan <laughs> were together. Oh, my God. It's, that, it's been that long ago? It's been a long time. Yeah, <laughs> about that. Lots right. happened Texas since was incredible. 
uh, <laughs> I think, you know, Texas is one of these places where folks kind of look at Texas and Arizona and figure, you know, which is going to go completely blue first. But um, between uh, early vote and absentee, uh, we saw a lot of what we saw in Virginia in 2017, which is just incredible numbers coming out. Right. So, like, over a million, these were not that they won every every race, right, but but the turnout, just the energy and the momentum is clearly on the Democratic side. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think is this so is there a real ground operation or is it just Trump has pissed people off so much? I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. It depends on what state you're in. Um, I think at the end of the day, I, I sort of joke until the Democratic Party completely gets everything together and, and maybe that will never happen. Um, no, we're Democrats. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Um People are stepping up and they're coming out all over the place, and they're, yeah. they're and they're doing it. And you know whether they uh, they just had a kid and they didn't vote, and they're they've sort of kind of woken up and they're thinking about the future. I think the most telling moment coming out of Texas was the fact that Ted Cruz is finally acknowledging he's got a serious race on his hands. A year ago, he said that anyone who's talking about you know their mm-hmm. opponent is scared, and the first thing he does, you know, coming right. out of the election results of the uh, the primary is he's he's hitting his opponent mm-hmm. for his name. Yeah. Right. I love the, the the idea that he's hitting on Beto O'Rourke yep. for his I name. I love the name. I love the name, by the way. Yeah, and his name is R- Roberto uh, O'Rourke. I guess is his, is his real name. But like, as many other people have pointed out, Ted Cruz is not his actual name. His name is Rafael Edward Cruz. Yeah, I think it took Ted Cruz a few minutes on CNN to actually explain <laughs> what his name was. Yeah, like his name's not Ted Cruz either. It's it's Rafael Cruz. He's named after his father. I think we also learned with Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah. Bar- that, excuse me. Barack Hussein Obama. Right. That you can have a pretty weird name and you sure. can still make it. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard about Barack Obama when I called friends of mine in Chicago because there was somebody else, I forget, who was running for the Senate there. And um, and they said, no, we're supporting a guy named Barack Obama, and I just left, and I said, forget it with that name. Yeah, and someone recently <laughs> thanked him. Uh, he could never make it, right? Thanked him and gave this kind of tribute to him, and they, they, they said, I'd like to thank Hussein Barack Obama. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, tell us about, or if you know, I don't know anything about Beto O'Rourke. Member of Congress, right? Um, yeah, I think the key here with him is that what he did was he got out there, and he got out there early, and he did this tour throughout the country. Um, he made himself known. He paved a way. And key here is in a lot of states, including somewhere like mm-hmm. Arkansas, where we really, as Democrats, have no seats left, we need to build the party mm-hmm. around somebody. Yeah. And I think in Texas that's what mm-hmm. they're doing. And they also have some other good candidates mm-hmm. running for AG and, and a, a statewide commissioner. But that's what mm-hmm. he did. He he traveled the country, and the grassroots got excited and fired up about him. And, you know, I think Democrats are really smart, and they kind of – Step back and got and coalesced around somebody. Didn't mm-hmm. waste a ton of money in the in the primary, and you know they're setting up for a strong general. And we've seen these races before. I mean, it's been a long time, but you know Gary Morrow was elected statewide a long right. time ago back right. in Texas, and you know ultimately ran against a guy named George Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. but Texas is fired up, and I think that uh, you know if you look at statewide, uh, Hillary won a number of the congressional districts that the GOP carried. She won a, a number of the state Senate and state House districts. They're competing for these judgeships. So they're competing in every corner of the state. Yeah, and we remember it wasn't that long ago that Texas was a solid blue state and uh, and one that Democrats really counted on, yeah. right, could, could count on. Um, I believe next Tuesday is the primary in Pennsylvania. 
Yeah, so which is the first, this, maybe the next big test, right? Yeah, so the special election uh, of Connor Lamb mm-hmm. and uh, PA twelve, where we had a, a disgraced Republican who uh, stepped down and opened up that seat. I think that'll be an interesting one. You know, I can't quite tell, and I think a lot of folks can't, on whether or not that will be a bellwether. To date, since Donald Trump took office, Democrats have, of all the seats that have flipped, Democrats have flipped 39 seats, Republicans have flipped four. So, you know, over 91% of the seats that have flipped have gone towards Democrats. (laughs) That's that's one district where, even with this big win on um, uh, uh, the, the gerrymandering case, the lines will not be redrawn prior to mm-hmm. the date, however mm-hmm. the other mm-hmm. ones will. But, you know, Connor's out there, and, and he's running the race that he wants to run, and um, he was overwhelmingly selected at the convention, and, and I think he's got a real shot. And the Washington Post had a great article recently about how the Republicans have really failed to land a blow against him. That land, failed to land a blow against him, and what I've read, too, is Republicans are not real happy with their nominee. I forget. Right. Member of Congress, I guess. Or, or, yeah, I'm not too familiar with him, but that's a, that's yeah. a good thing, you know. Yeah, we no, know exactly. We name and can't think of the opponent's name, and I think But this is a Republican district. It, it's a, it's a, 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 a ruby-red district. And, that in was drawn that, as a Republican exactly. district. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and there's parts that, you know, um, we did really well in the 2016 presidential, parts of the district. However, um, he's got he's to carry it, and I think that uh, he's got a real shot on his hands here. Right. So if you look at the midterms, we've done the numbers so many times. Democrats need to pick up 24. Or 20, yeah, 24. Uh, there are 23 seats held by Republicans now that Hillary Clinton actually carried those districts. And the average loss for um, president in the midterm, first midterms, is 43. Yeah. So is it a slam dunk that Democrats take back the House this year? I don't think anything is a slam dunk. Um, my business partner uh, repeatedly uh, jokes with me that I think it's actually 24 seats that she carried, and it's always re- reported as 23. But when it was all said and done and they counted the uh, absentee ballots and other things like that, there were 24 districts. Um, I think that if you look at places that we might not otherwise be competitive that aren't those districts, um, we are. And that's, for instance, uh, I've nicknamed them Dirty Devin the Kremlin Gremlin uh, (laughs) Nunez. Uh, Andrew Jans took off. He did huge. Uh, When the memo came out, the memo really set his campaign on fire. That's that's a district right there um, that shouldn't be on the map. So I, I think any we can never take anything for granted, but what we have is incredible candidates. I think one of the concerns among Democrats, we saw this in Texas, is to what extent does the D-trip get involved and try to pick a candidate from Washington where folks want to pick a candidate in their state. At the same time, in California, we have a couple of districts where we could potentially have two Republicans going into the runoff because of the general, uh, because of the jungle primary. But I think as we get closer to primary day in California, that won't be an issue. So I think that we'll, we'll take back the House. Um, I hope we take it back by far more than those seats. Um, but, you know, no one will take anything for granted. Well, California, you're based in California? No, I'm based out of D.C. D.C. Um, uh, California could very well be decide That's what's what so happens, remarkable right? about I know, this. No, it is. And parts of California, I mean, as former Democratic chair of California, right, I find it extremely interesting following this because the potential exists to pick up seats in California in areas which we always considered you know, verboten almost, right. right? Like behind, we called it behind the orange curtain. Right. But if you look at Orange County now, 
Daryl Isis district. Um, you know, there there are three or four. There's a ton of them. Dana yeah. Rohrbacher. Yeah. So Rohrbacher. I mean, the, the, uh, there's a candidate I actually I work for to be transparent, but Harley Ruda is an incredible candidate out there in uh, uh, the 48th, uh, 49th. Mike Levin has had a ton of energy. He went to a debate recently, and none of the opponents on the other side of the aisle appeared there. Uh, and he's just had a, you know. And so what I, I kind of joke with my friends in California that uh, while I while I hope the night is decided very early on the mm. east, mm-hmm. I will you know very happily stay up and and see how far we can push the majority as the results come in from the west. Uh, and Nunez, I forget the number of his district, but he's um, Nunez twenty two. Twenty two, right. Uh, uh, but do you really think that that's a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Was, What's really interesting here is it should be. He's such a and he's yeah, got he's clown. got a serious uh, fight on his hands now because the, the the candidate running against him is the local prosecutor. He's a Democrat. He's well respected. He's gained national attention after the memo came out. And uh, as he jokes, you know, everyone in the district wants to know how a dairy farmer became a Russian lapdog. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, too bad I'm not out there still as Democrats. You have a lot of fun this time. <laughs> it is. I just got back from the San Diego uh, statewide convention. It was, you know, they are strong out there and they're they're fired up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the big news, of course, was the failure of uh, Diane Sein- Diane Feinstein to get the uh, endorsement of the party. Yeah, I think you know it was, it was interesting. Um, I actually don't know how much that affects things at the end of the day, obviously. Um, but, you know, I think... Uh, I don't think that a, much, to tell yeah, the truth. statewide. Yeah. I, you know, I think activists uh, made a point to her. But as we saw with a number of the congressional districts, the problem is the, the, the farther down the chain you get, 22 or 23 people are making a decision on whether someone gets an endorsement. Obviously not statewide, but for the congressionals. And I think... You look at the 2016 presidential, no matter who, what side you were on, and all of the discussions we had about the superdelegates, people are sick and tired of 20 people in a back room making a decision on who the nominee is. Mm-hmm. And and so people came out of there that were endorsed by the party running for Congress that I think ultimately will not be the nominee on the Democratic side as well. Right. Um, what do you think are going to be the deciding issues in in the in 2018 um and to what extent will the Mueller investigation be one of them or will that be the primary one i, I think usa today just had a poll recently that uh it was a thousand voters where five people said that the five registered voters said that the russia investigation was you know what motivated them for the poll so i i think everyone's paying attention everyone's um, fired up about what's going on. It's becoming more and more clear every single day. Someone joked online yesterday when some of this other news came out that it was almost like a, a corner piece of the puzzle as it's starting to fill in. But, you know, I think some, for some folks it's a single issue, and I think for some folks it's... Um, but if only five out of a 1,000 said that the Mueller investigation was they were concerned about it, well, I mean, well, it wasn't that they were concerned about it. It was that is that that's the issue oh, voting oh, around. Oh, I right. Believe. Yeah. And so I think for people, look, guns are a huge issue right now. These these uh, teenagers in Florida are incredible. I, I hope not only that um, are they able to help make some real progress on this once and for all, but that these students don't aren't going to be single issue students too, because I actually think these students have the ability to get a whole bunch of different things done. That with the with the incredible 
uh, bull pit they have now. Um, and, and, you know, healthcare, um, uh, you know, there's a number of things. But I, I think at the end of the day, too, a lot of which that happened in 2016 has carried over. And I think people are fired up in general to take their country back. I mean, we have somebody in here who, who uh, cannot implement Russia, Russia sanctions. Um, it, it's almost, um, you know, it, there's almost no party lines for those of us that have been around a long time nowadays, you know, especially on like the political hack side. I, I, I look forward to the day where I can work hard against the John Weavers and Stuart Stevens and Rick Wilsons and Amanda Carpenters of the world again, because we're all on the same side now. Well, do you think um, that 2018 will, in effect, be a referendum on Trump? I think 2018 will be a a moment in our country's history um, of which everyone has two, three, four big defining moments in their life. Um, in my lifetime, I think one of the biggest moments that I've lived through was, was 9-11. And I think that um, the 2016 presidential campaign woke a lot of people up to uh, how incredibly important it is to uh, protect the institutions of our country, um, how important their vote is that so many people fought for um, that many didn't even utilize. Um, and, and so I think there's just so many different things that go into people's thinking. But the key here is that um, uh, I'll give you one example from Virginia. Tom Perriello uh, ran mm-hmm. for governor and mm-hmm. lost, and Susan Platt, uh, former Joe Biden chief of staff, ran for lieutenant governor and lost in 2017. The two of them separately received more votes individually than any Democratic primary statewide in the history of the Commonwealth of Virginia and still lost. But that's how many people came out and vote. Yeah, right. So so maybe, I mean, I find this encouraging in that um, we're really getting back to the importance and the power of grassroots organizing. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one of, and, and I say this all the time, the DNC needs to get back to the Howard Dean days and focus on what is important to them. There's three things in their rules and bylaws that run them. That is supporting state parties and local parties, supporting presidential primaries, and, and doing the presidential debates. That's it. So they are supposed to be a resource to everyone else out there. And the key here is how do we best support our states? Every single state is different. Within each state, it's different. And, and so I don't think given where we are right now in 2018, that the deciding factor of how well we do on the ground is going to be the national parties. I think it's going to be how quickly Mm -hmm. can people continue to organize on their own. They're being creative. They're working together. Um, But with all of these different groups that have come up, we just need to make sure that people are able to um, connect and not overlap and be doing the same thing. But at the end of the day, I think this is going to be the American people, not any single one of the two parties. The American people working through, I mean, I have the feeling, tell me if I'm wrong, that so much of the um, creativity and the initiative and the energy is coming not from the party, but from collectively, I guess, the resistance, but organizations like Emily's List, organizations like Our Revolution, Progressive Change Campaign Committee, Indivisible, I mean... It's exactly what it is. uh, There's one called... Swing left, indivisible, P triple C. Something about running. Why uh, run for something? Run for something. Right for yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's totally but, true. I mean, and and it's you know what's interesting to me is I mean so, they're out there. I, I hear from them all. I think yeah. I'm on the mailing list of every one of them, yeah. right? And and they've got candidates and they're really hustling. Yeah. You know? and, and there's no turf wars. 
You know, and right. I think that's the yeah. big thing. I actually think that one of the biggest, uh, <coughs> I don't know, is a challenge, but I think one of the ways that Tom Perez can be most helpful is within legal limits, really bringing everyone to the table and making sure that the DNC is being the best resources resource to those groups that it can. How can we help you? Exactly. Right. But let them do what they're doing. And, and um, I, I was the founder of Ready for Hillary, and that was a really successful effort. But the only reason it was successful was because all we did was provide people with the resources they were asking for. I know there's one race in Texas. Uh, I forget which one. I haven't followed it that closely. Um, where people are concerned because there were two Democratic candidates, sort of a Hillary person and a Bernie person. And um, I, I don't even, I, I don't think that that's been resolved. I'm not sure how it turned out. But, so, but, but my question is, is that still, is the party still stuck on the 2016 primary split? No, I don't think so. But I think it depends on what state you're in and what area you're in. Obviously, some states are um, uh, uh, we're a little more divided than others, and some of those are the caucus states. If you look at sort of like a Nebraska or a Wisconsin or an Oregon, I think the the race that you're referring to, um, I, I had a client in, and that was uh, Texas seven Culberson. Um, and what was interesting there was that was actually the race that the D Triple C came out and personally attacked. Laura Mosier. Right. And if you look at the numbers, what, who, who was the progressive or the more progressive, the Bernie candidate? Absolutely. They're both good people, but one was Hillary and one was See, Bernie. Right. Yeah. And but in, in that district, you just had folks that were running as Democrats. But w- what was really interesting there was I think people were more pissed off that the DCCC got involved and attacked her than anything else. Because what you had was my client, um, Dr. Jason Weston, was actually going to go into the runoff. Um, there, if you look at the numbers and you look at the early vote and absentee numbers and you compare uh, Lizzie and Laura, the two were far apart. But the vote broke after what the DCCC did. The DCCC completely backfired. And ultimately, the candidate that the DCCC attacked, they pushed into the runoff. Hmm. Um, and so that's really where the divide was. But the divide was not who was with who. And actually, in, in terms of Bernie supporters and Hillary supporters in the primary, they've come together long ago and they work hand in hand in Texas very well. Um, I mentioned earlier, I was at the Gridiron Dinner uh, last Friday night where Mitch uh, Landrew was the... Uh, you know, Peter, I forgot to mention, by the way, that um, in in when in his remarks, Donald Trump kept calling him rich. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, We're such good friends. He's a Democrat and a Republican. We're really good friends. Isn't that right, Rich? Yeah, Ugh. right. <laughs> the, one th- the only I thing was that waiting Donald Trump for some- can do is come up with really incredibly good names that stick. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's his talent. I, I, I was just wondering why nobody near him or alongside him just said Mitch, you know, not right. But it never nobody did. But what I, I want to know is what all the names that Donald Trump has for the people around him oh. that he doesn't share. <laughs> I guess my question is, there was a lot of buzz and he did a great job and a lot of buzz in that room about, oh, maybe he's the guy we need in 2020. Do you think anybody outside of Washington on do you see anybody on the horizon outside of Washington? Who could emerge in 2020? I'm going to probably uh, not get the names here, but first of all, Mitch Landers is incredible. Um, uh, the the governor of Washington State, Jay Inslee, yeah, Inslee is incredible, um, and and he can talk about uh, a number of different issues mm-hmm. and translate in a way that it affects yeah. anyone in any corner of the state. Uh, the the mayor, former mayor of Phoenix. Um, I actually think the farther west you go, the more incredible candidates and talent that the Democratic Party has. Yeah. They're really stepping up and shining, and and I, I think it's anyone's ballgame here. I would add uh, 
Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles. Garcetti Garcetti came out in San Diego to speak, and and he he talked about South Carolina four times. (laughs) Hey, Adam, great to see you. Thanks for coming in. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. I alone can fix it, said Donald Trump. (laughs) Well, guess what? He may have to, because there may not be anybody else left. What do you say, folks? Great to see you. Thursday, March 8th, it is the Bill Press Show, and I am back with you after a little hiatus there. Um, joining a great group, actually, of insurance executives in Las Vegas for three days, emceeing their program. Uh, and uh, we thank... Um, Jason Dick and Sabrina Siddiqui and Peter Ogburn for filling in while I was gone. But it's good to be back with you, man. We got lots to talk about. Yes, indeed. Uh, Gary Cohn, some of the stuff you've already covered. Gary Cohn, the president's uh, chief economic advisor, uh, said, nope, I told you not to do those tariffs. I told you if you did those tariffs, I was going to quit. So I am quitting. Uh, Meanwhile, the White House wrapped up now deeper than ever in yet another sex scandal the Stormy Daniels just won't. The Stormy Daniels matter just won't go away. We learned more about it yesterday, and it looks like the White House only dug the hole deeper. And Jeff Sessions, in the meanwhile, Attorney General, is out on the warpath against California, filing a lawsuit <laughs> yesterday to stop California um, from, he says, interfering with the ability of the federal government, namely ICE, to do its job in deporting undocumented immigrants. Told you, lots to cover here. So we need uh, we need a lot of help, particularly for what's going on down at the White House, and we've got it with White House correspondent for Yahoo News, Hunter Walker, joining us in studio. Hunter, great to see you. Hey, Bill, how are you? All right, busy days, huh? Oh, you know, quiet as ever. Quiet as <laughs> yeah, ever. Right. A lot of people. A lot of people ready to work at the White Do House. You have your uh, dropout. Countdown clock going. <laughs> well, I was just saying this, too. I think, okay, so Gary, you'll forgive me for losing track, but m- Monday was Sam Nunberg. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I guess Tuesday was Gary. So it has now been almost 48 hours since a high-level staff departure at the at the White House. Hey, we keep right. having to reset that clock. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he won't be the last one, that's for sure. Anyway, we got lots to get into with Hunter. And with all of you, we want to hear from you, as always. Your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. I think we can all agree that the Internet is for one thing and one thing only. The Internet is for porn. Porn. That's right. So we go to Rhode (laughs) Island where there has been a new bill called the Act 
relating to public utilities and carriers, Internet digital blocking. It was drafted by two senators, state senators, both of them Democrats, by the way. What does this bill do? Well, it would require residents of Rhode Island to pay a one-time $20 fee to access pornography sites on the Internet. They also list, quote, how do you control that? Offensive. You have to get the permission of the state of Rhode Island every well, time you want to. I'm glad you asked because I, I have a bit of an answer for you. Oh. So, like, Peter's been <laughs> accessing this site. I'm doing lots Peter's very of concerned about his next field trip to Providence. Lots and lots of research <laughs> on this, Bill. Uh, let me just say, if, so, you know, when you, if you set up, like, parental controls on your computer, right, you can block kids from going to certain websites because they are of an offensive nature. And so the bill sort of highlights that. They said, look, if you are a website that's listed as having possibly offensive material, which would be porn or there are some that are like grisly uh, accidents, things like that, you can block your kids from going to it. They will block these people from doing it unless you pay $20, which which you're already paying for your Internet service. Why would you have to pay to look at... Anyway. No potential free speech issues there. No, no, not Not at all. By the way, while we're talking about weird Black Mirror-esque stories, (laughs) Amazon had to come out and admit that they have a bit of a problem with Alexa, Bill. You could be sitting in the house, totally quiet, nothing happening, (laughs) and then all of a sudden, a disembodied woman's voice lets out a short, mocking cackle. They're laughing. The Alexa is laughing at you. And Amazon admitted that they have a problem. There's a bug in the Alexa that they are trying to fix. But it's Alexa just, hasn't laughed at me. Well, my Alexa hasn't. Not yet. You, you know, I thought I had an Alexa, but then I realized it was just my wife <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. This is the Bill Press Show. Who will be the latest to drop out? Who will be the next to drop out, we should ask? Um, White House still dealing with the departure of uh, Gary Cohn, but President Trump says, this is great. I love turnover. Just means that uh, makes it all the more exciting and more and more people want to come work with me and to fill those jobs. Yeah, we haven't seen that side of it. What do you say, everybody? It is Thursday, March 8th. Um, Good to be back with you. Uh, Here on the Bill Press Show as we come to you live coast to coast on every possible platform we can uh, put together to reach you and give you an opportunity to join us. So we're joining you online, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. That's where you find us. And, of course, you will not forget to sign up once you get there. You have to only have to do it once. Doesn't cost you $20. Doesn't cost you anything. But then you're automatically a member of the uh, Bill Press team. Well, until we start posting porn. Then oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Wait till you see what I've got planned for this live stream, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You Sorry. stopped me in my tracks. Sorry, boss. <laughs> I was just going to say, so who's going to be posting the yeah, porn? Yeah. No, no. Was, just leave no. it there. Let's sign up on YouTube. Sorry, I even went there. Um, <laughs> joining you on television as well on Free Speech TV and on the radio out in the uh, Chicago area on the, on the uh, great progressive Foghorn of Chicago, WCPT, in studio with us when he's not at the White House uh, for Yahoo News. He's here in the studio with us, not every day, but Hunter, <laughs> as often as we can get him back. Hunter Walker. Hunter, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me. So this Gary Cohn thing didn't come as a surprise, but it's still a shakeup, right? Well, 
you know, it's a shakeup in that Gary Cohn was a really important figure in the administration. Yeah. Um, First economic advisor. Right. But but beyond that, he was really a singular presence. I I wrote a profile of him um, back in April, I I believe Mm -hmm. it was. And, you know, I referred to him as the not so secret Democrat in Trump's White House because he is a registered Democrat. Um, And also, you know, he had policy positions that were sort of at odds with the more populist and nationalist wing in the Trump Mm -hmm. White House. We Mm -hmm. we broke the news that they had famously nicknamed him, quote unquote, globalist Gary. Um, (laughs) But that same thing that got him detractors within the West (laughs) Wing made him a really, really soothing presence to Wall Street. He was one of them. And they were counting on him to do things like stop Trump on this tariffs policy. Right. So, you know, that makes this a really, really big deal. And I mean, I I covered his um, abrupt exit. And, you know, it was abrupt in the sense that that day President Trump had an appearance with the Swedish prime minister. There was an empty seat with Gary's name on it reserved for him right there. So that's 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 not a sign of any good advanced planning. And, you know, former White House staff were telling me, you know, first off, they said NAFTA death watch begins now. And they were also saying that Gary had really stopped a lot of bad ideas and been kind of a calming, you know, normalizing voice within the White House. Um, at the same time, Trump allies are rejoicing. Uh, Steve Bannon texted me and said, oh, happy day um, when Gary Cohn was gone. Um but, yeah, there were rumblings for a long time, particularly around this tariffs thing. Yeah. I don't know if Peter's got the got the clip that I'm I, trying I to pull it up way. right now. I don't have it quite. Yeah, yet. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second, okay. because yeah. one of one of the big narratives around Gary Cohn, it was basically that, you know, he was this normal guy. He was this, you know, seasoned executive and he was angry about this tariffs thing. He wanted sensible policies that made Wall Street happy. But also he was so mad at Donald Trump about Charlottesville. Charlottesville. That was that was one yeah. of the narratives, yes. and yeah. and I, I'd love to get into that. And when we'll Peter's ready, talking, Peter, let us know when you if you if you are, are able to get it. But um, the thing, so then the White House yesterday, so so Donald Trump threw these tariffs out there, really blindsiding a lot of people, including Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Republicans on the Hill. Uh, other people in the administration. John Kelly wasn't even at the White well, House well, when yeah, he announced it. Yeah, right? but I want to. I want to say something. And how much? How much preparation went into making this announcement? Right. Well, let's let's be very clear about something. Anyone who was blindsided by Donald Trump, true, saying he wanted to have this kind of trade true. policy, was not paying attention for two years in 2015 true. and 2016. True. I mean, I don't have to remind your listeners, they're killing us on trade. We're oh, going to yeah. win again. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this was... But, this was but to announce that I'm doing 25% and 10%, I mean, how many people knew that announcement was coming that day and were prepared for it? You know what I mean? You know, the, the famed Trump whisperer, Maggie Haberman, um, yeah. has said on Twitter many times that one way to get Donald Trump to do something is to tell him he can't do it. it. And so the sense I have, and I, I, you know, people have not told me this, but it's just sort of from knowing him and from other things I've heard, is that he walked in wanting to do this. Bannon walked in wanting to do this. People were able, including Gary Cohn, to control him on this and, and stop him from doing it. And finally, in the past week or so, he was like, no, give me my, give me my tariffs. Yeah, right. Uh, now the White House is saying, okay, well, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, first of all, we haven't seen the tariffs yet. <laughs> They're still trying to put it together. And I was saying, well, we'll give Mexico and Canada uh, a 30-day reprieve. 
Yeah. That was proposed yesterday. I mean, first of all, what's 30 days? Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if this goes the way of the travel ban. And what I mean is that with some of yeah. President Trump's you mean more. a lot ex- of noise and nothing happens? Yeah. So with some of the more extreme proposals, you know, we went from on the campaign. It's, I, I think it's very important for people to remember what he said on the campaign, what he was elected on versus what ends up happening. Right. So let's let's go to some really good examples here. On the campaign, total shutdown of Muslim immigration. That becomes the travel ban, which is already a moderated position, that then becomes the modified travel ban that then gets held up judicially. So we, in effect, do not have even the modified travel ban right now. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't have the original, and we definitely don't have a shutdown of Muslim immigration. On the border, he proposed the wall. wall. The wall kept getting 10 feet higher, right? Then that has now turned into him asking Congress for funding for border security measures, including, you know, increased border patrol, digital checkpoints, whatever, all this stuff that even Democrats have agreed with a little bit. Not a wall. And again, we don't even have that yet. So now the question comes with tariffs. Nothing has happened yet. And, you know, under pressure, Justin Trudeau and and the Mexicans, um, Jared Kushner was down in Mexico this week. Um, They're both pushing for you know, carve outs from this and uh, speculation I'm hearing from a lot of sources is, is this thing just going to get carved into oblivion mm-hmm. and he's going to get some announcement where he can say there are tariffs, but, you know, key allies and, and people who actually would be most affected find that there's no effect whatsoever. Right. So this is the Trump ML, I guess, right? I mean, it's sort of governing by tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of. I mean, yeah, it is. (laughs) Uh, Our mutual friend uh, Peter Baker and the Trump whisperer Maggie Haberman have a great piece on the front page of the New York Times today uh, about Gary Cohn and beyond, saying the record high turnover at the White House has now reached 43%. I did a column on this last week. I wish I'd done it this, waited till this week because then I could add Gary Cohn to the departures. But when you look at five communications, four or five, depending on whether or not you count. Jared Miller there in the beginning, uh, communications directors, right? Directors. No, Jason Miller. Jason, I'm yeah. sorry, Jason Miller. Um, but you got one cabinet secretary, you've got the staff secretary, you know, we know all the high-level people who have left. What impact does this have on Trump's ability to govern or the Trump White House? Or is it what Donald Trump indicated yesterday, um, Peter, if we have that clip, of th- that this is a... Um, this is a good sign. Believe me, everybody wants to work in the White House. They all want a piece of that Oval <laughs> Office. They want a piece of the West Wing. Is it everybody wants to work in the White House or nobody wants to work in the White House? Well, you know, I can tell you that I know a lot of people, including people who have worked with Donald Trump before on the campaign and in his prior life, who want nothing to do with any of this. People who really like him and believe in him, who just don't want to touch the White House. And, and you know, they're thinking, the closest people to Trump goes that they like him, he's a great executive, he's a great leader, but this combustible mix of him fighting against the government just has not gone well and is not a battle that he can win. Um, so I definitely, you know, everyone called him out on this. It was completely false when he said there's a long line of people working at the White House. We've known from the beginning they have a ton of unfilled positions. Traditional Republicans have not wanted to, mm-hmm. wanted oh, to yeah. go in. I, I know I have several friends in Washington. Established you do? 
Well, <laughs> I don't know you myself, had a dog. Open myself up for that. <laughs> <laughs> Establishment Republicans who have been offered jobs and who had what absolutely nothing to do with this administration. Names, big names. Yeah, and I think that's part of why we've seen the security clearance issue. You know, I mean, Don McGahn, it, it basically came out that they were like, yeah, we know there's a problem with Porter, but we need him because he's the most serious oh, guy we right. have. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one thing, this has been Donald Trump's management style. He famously, in all of his many, many management yeah. books, yeah. said he loved to have, you know, sort of his own reality TV smash mouth version of the, the cabinet of rivals, if you will. Uh, I was at the gridiron dinner over the weekend and he said, I like chaos. That was a quote. He he called it exciting and invigorating. I know. All the I was there. Yeah. I, yeah. And and so if you listen to him, sure, he's falsely saying that um, a lot of people want in. Um, but his longtime argument has been that you put these people in a cage together, get them to fight, and the best will rise to the top. And that's partially why he tells one person one thing. He, he fosters the infighting. And we saw this with Scaramucci, where he said he was basically encouraged to go on TV and bash John Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at the Gridiron Dinner, too. I had a conversation at the Gridiron Dinner with someone who is very, very close to Donald Trump, was very, very, had a very high position in his campaign. I will not mention his name. And I just said, I'm just amazed that you have managed to stay on the outside. And he said, believe me, as Rob's staying, too, he said, there's no effing way that I'm going inside. And, um, and I talked to many of these former staffers. And if he were, he would be, like, way, way, way up there. Yeah, and and these these former people, I mean, you you talk to them and they're like they're like blissed out Zen monks now. They're like <laughs> they're like you know, and and, and you know uh, what some of them have described to me is when you leave the White House and you know they mar they frog march you out of there. You don't have your clearance. Sometimes you get put on the list that you can't even go back in. Yeah, it's demeaning. A lot of these people mooches on that list. Yeah, um, a lot of these people dreamed of getting to the White House in the first place, especially the ones who were political people. So you know what they've described to me is you go through this week of of pain, um, and then you start to realize, oh my God. My life is so much better. I don't have this infighting and chaos. And also, a lot of them have gotten great jobs on the outside hmm. because, hmm. you know, especially the Republican yeah. establishment has been like, come here, yeah. you tried, yeah. welcoming them back with right. open arms. Except for Sean Spicer. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I, the other day I was at the gym. They have all these TVs, right? So I look up and Dr. Phil was on, my favorite. And Dr. Phil welcomed Anthony Scaramucci to the show. And he had this whole thing with his wife. Because remember, there was the whole story about how his wife left him while she was pregnant. Right. And and it, he said exactly that. He said, after I left the White House, everything changed. We got back together, saved my marriage. We're, we're, we're happy now. We have this baby. And basically said, like, yeah, she left him because of the demands of, the, of working in the White okay, House. Okay, okay, but can, can I call BS for a moment? Sure, here? sure. Because yeah, I believe I... this when a lot of people tell me this. I do not believe it for five minutes about Anthony Scaramucci. <laughs> sure. I don't believe that your your 10-day micro White House stint <laughs> yeah. did anything to your marriage. Yeah, um, and, right. and by the way, I, I used to work at Business Thanks. Insider. We covered finance. We know about Anthony for a long time. I don't think the White House was the issue in his marriage. Thank I'll, you. I'll leave Thank it you for there. The but also, if there has been. <laughs>
seen anyone desperate to remain in President oh, Trump's God, orbit. God. It is Anthony Scaramucci, who, by the way, sold an extremely lucrative business that was his entire identity just to enter just the to White enter. House. Yeah. And, and this uh, is a guy yeah. who has not, you know, gone off into blissful retirement like some other people have. So, so I mean, yes, he did say that on Dr. Phil. Yes. I'm, I, I'm an avid watcher as well. Catch me outside. <laughs> Thank you. But, but he's the only one where I'm not buying it. Um, this um, <laughs> this chaos, or whatever you want to call it, uh, or disarray, uh, also has an impact on not, not just people here in Washington, but you've written about people around the world trying to deal with the uh, um, Trump administration, particularly from Estonia, of all places. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, by the way, I was actually, it's really a coincidence that I ended up at breakfast with the Estonian foreign minister this week because I just rewatched Encino Man. And does anyone, Hell yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, Stoney yeah. from Estonia. Oh, no. Really. Wheezing on some nugs. You know? Oh, God. Was that the first Pauly Shore reference uh, of the Trump era on the Bill Press the first Pauly Shore yes. reference ever yes. on the Bill Press show. Pauly, we yeah. remember you. I do, at least. Um, but, yeah, so... so this was this really extraordinary thing this week, um, beyond the Encino Man synchronicity, where um, the Estonian foreign minister was in town. He was meeting with Rex Tillerson mm. ahead of a summit where, you know, President Trump is going to meet with the presidents of Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. And these are the Baltic states. Yep. And, you know, these aren't like really high profile countries, but. You know, your listeners should understand that this is a really, really crucial region because it's a NATO. It's NATO allies on the border with Russia. So they have some of the best intel. They are post-Soviet states. They've been battling Russian meddling since since well before. And Russia keeps pouring people in there to take over these countries, pouring people, pouring. I mean, Finland as well, with with, uh, you know, along with these three. They're pouring people. They're pouring in propaganda. Um, they have their own versions of like Sputnik and RT. Um, you know, they've seen election meddling since well before we did. So, um, you know, Sven Mixer, who's the Estonian foreign minister, was in town ahead of this summit to sort of have the talks with Tillerson that one does before a head of state mm-hmm. meeting. And he called a bunch of reporters to breakfast mm. and on record spoke very candidly about the Trump administration. Um, and some of his comments were basically, he will say one thing and then do another. Um, they have to learn to live with, that was a phrase he used, and predict this unpredictability from what he called an unorthodox president. Did they take him seriously or did they just ignore uh, his tweets? And... I mean, they sort of just described, you know, the, again, the phrase he used was live with. You know, when I asked him about, um, and he talked about, um, how much they've dealt with Russian meddling and how much Russian aggression is a concern for them. So I asked him, you know, what do you think about these indications that um, there may have been collusion and President Trump's family was willing to work with the Russians of talking about the Don Jr. meeting? And he said, and this is almost a direct quote, I don't have it in front of me, but he said, there are a lot of things in the world that concern me. But at the end of the day, his main point was, you know, they're a small northern European country. Um they will be an ally of the U.S. regardless. Hmm. They need us. Um, everything, they sort of take it as it comes and stay loose. But it was really incredible to well, hear I mean, him say this. They obviously are in it for the long haul. I think most of our allies feel that way, right? And so yeah. the, the main this point, is something they just got to get through. The, the main point he made that Rough I've heard from, heard from others that I think is really key, um, you know, I've learned this more since covering the White House. Foreign policy is probably the most technical 
aspect of governance in terms of the presentation and the optics. When uh, an American leader makes a foreign policy pronouncement, every aspect of it, from the physical staging to every word, um, as, as this foreign minister said to me, every comma is meant to send a message. And they've learned with Trump that he might be improvising and not to take mm-hmm. it that way. Mm-hmm. So so I don't know if that's not taking him seriously, but it's certainly a complete departure from they've, how they've taken every other modern foreign leader. Right. Hunter Walker is with us from Yahoo News, covers the White House for Yahoo News, where yesterday at the briefing uh, there were several questions uh, about the uh, big storm that hit the East Coast. No, I'm not talking about the snowstorm in New York. I'm talking about... Her, Stormy Daniels, uh, who popped back up again yesterday when her attorney filed a lawsuit against uh, the president saying that uh, he had not signed the nondisclosure agreement. Therefore, the nondisclosure agreement, she, which would ban her from talking about her alleged affair with Donald Trump, that agreement was therefore invalid because he hadn't signed it. Uh, and... Um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders surprised at you, I'm sure, and everybody else by saying, oh, this was settled uh, under arbitration uh, already. As I outlined earlier, that this case had already been won in arbitration um, and that there was no knowledge of uh, any payments from the president, and he's denied all of these allegations. We had never heard of arbitration that this before, right? All we had heard was um, she made this charge, he denied it, and his attorney, Gary Cohen, out of the goodness uh, Mike, of his, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, sorry. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, out of the goodness of his heart, paid her $130,000. <laughs> so, so the evolution of this story has been really incredible. Um, you know, really first, if we really want to go... And it broke in the Wall Street Journal. Yes, but, but if we really want to go all the way back, because the Wall Street Journal has been all over the Trump pornography beat. Um, and there was another porn star, Right. And she basically, it seemed as if the National Enquirer bought her story um, to do, they did a follow-up on this, where the National Enquirer, you know, the owner is very close to Donald Trump. It's Mm -hmm. been a very pro-Trump rag. It's Mm -hmm. where the crazy Ted Cruz, JFK conspiracies ran. It's Mm -hmm. had a bunch of puffy profiles of Trump and his family and editorials. Um, And they supposedly had this policy of catch and kill where basically this porn star was alleging she had an affair with Trump, they bought the rights to it just to never run it ever. So that actually started to come out before Stormy. Then Stormy came out. When Stormy's story initially came out, um, it was fully denied by Trump, by Cohen, who was alleged to have made this payment, you know, vehemently, vehemently denied. Um, and then more and more started to dribble out. She had initially actually told the story already. So, you know, this has got to be like some of the worst lawyering in history because this payment was made to hush her after, after her story was out in 2011 in In Touch magazine. Now, I don't know how the people over at Bauer Publishing made it through the presidential campaign without remembering this was in their archives. Yeah, I, I right, bought a copy right. on eBay. It's, it's actually, it's a really like wonderful pop cultural artifact because the cover is a little blurb of Trump. Then you have the Kim Kardashian, Chris Humphreys marriage, which I think lasted like two Scaramucci's. I'm not entirely sure. And then you have, you have Real Housewives of New Jersey star, 
Teresa Judice. I believe I'm pronouncing that right. My wife would kill me if I wasn't. Um, but so this was 2011 pop culture history, and mm. she detailed the affair in there. In there. In there, which allegedly occurred at a Lake Tahoe celebrity yes. golf tournament in 2006 where they were photographed together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that comes out fully denied. Then, subsequently, Michael Cohen admits, yeah, I made the payment. But basically implies that he did it on his own. I spoke to him about this, and he said, you know, I will always defend Mr. Trump. That was his quote. Whether it was, and, and you know, this is a guy who is fiercely loyal. He is Trump's bulldog, whatever his legal skills may or may not yeah. be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was at the White House one time for, for a pool spread with a Marine One, um, and I said to him, which I think was really kind of remains the key question. Why did your attorney pay this porn star? Mm-hmm. Right? He totally ignored it. And then another reporter said, did you have sex with a porn star? Really cutting to the chase. He, he ignored that, too. Um, then the Wall Street Journal, they started to come out with all the details. Here's the Delaware shell company Cohen used. The bank flagged Cohen's transactions. Yeah. Meanwhile, Stormy was sort of playing coy about this whole thing while also capitalizing it and doing appearances at strip clubs in Long Island and elsewhere where she gave away MAGA hats. Yeah. Um, but never. This, what was the tour called? The. Make America horny, horny again. again. That's make America horny again. Did we ever yeah, stop? Um, <laughs> but but she was playing coy this whole time. She wasn't directly, you know, violating this horribly flawed um, non-disclosure agreement. Now she has a lawyer, and and her lawyer is saying that she's suing him to get out of this because this agreement um, was void because he never personally signed it. Now I I don't think there's any legal truth to that argument. But it does seem like she wants to sell a book. Um, these documents, these court documents have hinted that she may have photos or text But if messages. Donald Trump had not signed the agreement, why doesn't why, why isn't it invalid? Third, third parties sign agreements all the time. And the agreement was about Donald Trump. And she took that money. So if mm-hmm. you think you made, you know, legally, I've, I've talked to experts about this. Legally, if you make a flawed deal or take shady money, your, you know, standing in court is is a lot worse. But she accepted this contract, albeit with a third party. Right. Um, and, you know, but 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 I think from her end. Right. Let's all so, remember the O.J. Simpson. If I did it book, I think we're going to see the video interview of that soon. I'm really hyped. <laughs> but um, this is we're in the celebrity trash world. This is my favorite. Right. Um, you know. She signed on this woman, um, Gina Rodriguez, who um, your listeners probably don't remember this, but she repped Octomom. She reps every crazy bottom feeder. And so for Stormy, even if she doesn't fully get out from under this non-compete, even if she doesn't get to release whatever texts or photos she has or does not have, what she's doing is getting her name out. She's hinting that she has this stuff. You'll notice in her public appearances, she's she's stressed that she has a book she wants to sell. So she's enlarging her persona, getting in the consciousness. And I think we're sort of seeing her do the the presidential affair version of If I Did It, where she's getting out there as someone who allegedly, hypothetically, you know, may or may not have had the affair. You know, I'll tell you, it reminds me of somebody who got five years out of self-promotion, out of um, pushing a theory that Barack Obama was not born in the United States. <laughs> That's never going to go anywhere, though, right? I mean, seriously. Are, are I mean, you she... suggesting that Stormy and Trump are the perfect match? <laughs> I just well, I'm just suggesting say, right? that she's as great a self-promoter as... Well, she's not as great, but she's following his 
lead, if you will, in self-promotion. I mean, she's good at it. I wouldn't be shocked if in, you know, two years we see Stormy working with Roger Stone running for president. She was going to run for senator in Louisiana. Remember that? She was going to run for office in Louisiana. Against David, David Vitter. Yeah, so she knows this playbook. That, yeah. that, she, that, she knows this, that's this. the same woman. Yeah. And, and uh, you know. Yeah. But it, <laughs> it, it seems that the White House just can't shake it, right? Well, you know, the I mean, Sarah House... Huckabee Sanders did not help shake it yesterday. She and just it, opened up new avenues of question. It's really incredible because this is sort of the first own goal we've seen from Sarah Sanders. She has been Teflon oh, yeah, she, right. in terms of not answering stuff. <laughs> I mean, and, and let's not give her too much credit here. She's shortened the briefings down to like yeah, 10 minutes yeah. each. Her uh, her deflection strategy is typically I'll get back to you, not getting back to you, or mm-hmm. saying I don't know, and then you know, continuing to say she or, hasn't asked the president or about the answers. you to somebody else. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, yeah. so so there's not some genius 3D chess going on, but she hasn't had a screw-up yet, whereas, you know, I, God bless him, there were own goals in the White House for a long time in the first six months. Um, but this is the first one where she maybe gave us some unintentional negative info that we didn't have. Um, but, you know, I, I get that. I mean, think about the pressure this White House is under. Nineteen women have made accusations about this president's sexual yeah, behavior. Yeah. This is the one where she's splashy enough. She is YOLO enough, if if I may. And, <laughs> you know, she's got documents and stuff. She's got these photos. And she's not alleging sexual assault, right? She's admitting it was all consensual. She just alleged. You know, yeah, she just she just play. wants to air it out, and and you know, um, so yeah, this is right. probably the hardest one for them to shake. Uh, my favorite. I just, I just have to say, by the way, like talking about the the boring old White House, Pete. We've talked about Doctor Phil, Real Housewives, oh yeah, Jersey, oh, no, I, porn, no, no, no. Octo Mom, Chris Humphreys, <laughs> Chris Humphreys. This is celebrity. You know, I mean, like, celebrity what the politics. Hell, man? No. Well, can, can we just squeeze one more in and talk about my favorite line from the Gridiron Dinner? Uh, yeah, but I wanted to. to my favorite is that about Stormy Daniels? No, no. All right, uh, four-word fa- quote from wait, the Gridiron Dinner. Wait, President wait, wait, Trump- wait, wait, wait. No, we'll get it in. But okay. I just have, before we leave Stormy Daniels, <laughs> okay. I have to say my favorite little detail of the Stormy Daniels thing. I mentioned it earlier. Is she? She says alleges that she met him at this golf tournament at Lake Tahoe. Um, she was one of several porn stars there, just to liven up the golf tournament. And he suggested they have dinner that night. And she said when she showed up at his hotel room, she realized dinner was not what he had in mind because he was wearing a pair of pajama pants. <laughs> and if I may, since, since you <laughs> since you want to stay with Stormy, oh. I have, I've pulled up Stormy Daniels' IMDb page. Oh, with, yes. Where the full filmography oh, shows oh. 77 credits as a writer, 78 credits as a director, and 151 credits as an actress, including the 2016 video Sex Bots, Programmed for Pleasure. I've only seen 150, not all 151. <laughs> uh, Sleeping Beauty, an Axel Braun parody. Crime of Passion, Wanderlust. I mean, I could go on. You know, so this is an entrepreneur. Oh, He's yeah. met his match. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Uh, what did uh, what did we both enjoy at the Gridiron Dinner? Your favorite line? Well, just if we're talking about celebrities, I have to, have to mention Omarosa. And and oh, the God. one yeah. moment that, that Donald was, that was mean, I thought the, the one moment that Donald Trump spoke for all of America when he declared very simply, "quote Omarosa, you're the worst." <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he did. He, whenever he riffed, got off his prepared the jokes they prepared for him. It was, it was classic Trump. 
Oh Nancy my. Pelosi, she's crazy. Yeah, I mean, she's a he, nice lady. I like her, but she's crazy. Yeah, he yeah. called her. That was a, a direct quote, and people can find my transcript of this online. Um, but yeah, with Omarosa, he was making this joke. He was saying, "Oh, you know, he's talking about Bannon," and he said, yeah. "Oh, I lost my chief strategist. No one made it, but we're doing great without Omarosa." And then he just clearly went off script and said, "Omarosa, you're the worst." <laughs> and, and perhaps the more politically important line like that was where he was making a joke about Mike Pence, hoping he gets oh, impeached. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then he said, "Mike, put that." Down. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Quick break. Uh, Hunter Walker, he's out of control this morning. We'll be back with Daryl Lynn <laughs> joining us from Vox. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. And we're rolling right along here on a Thursday, March 8th, the Bill Press Show. Good to be back with you. Uh, and uh, Hunter Walker here with us as a friend of Bill the entire hour. Uh, Covers the White House for Yahoo News. Joined now by Daryl Lind, a senior reporter for Vox, who uh, covers a lot going on at the White House, particularly when it comes to immigration. Daryl, nice to see you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, too bad you weren't here for our uh, enlightening discussion about <laughs> Stormy I, Daniels. I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you class this show up a little bit, Daryl, please? <laughs> you don't have any... Porn sites you want to share with us or any <laughs> background about Stormy Daniels? I'm uh, definitely no? insufficiently prepared for this interview. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's move on to, um, I want to talk about California a little bit. So Jeff Sessions went out to the uh, state capitol day before yesterday and uh, uh, speaking to a group of law enforcement officers and announcing that he was there to, to file lawsuits against, to sue California for, he says, preventing the federal government from doing its job. Here is uh, the Attorney General. California won't let law enforcement officers like you and your people to transfer prisoners to ICE custody or even to communicate with ICE that you're about to release them from your custody. People that ICE is looking for. Right. So Sessions argues that... uh, Local police in California and local business leaders in California, if they see anybody that they think might be here illegally without papers, should call up ICE and say, hey, somebody in this in my 7-Eleven or we've got somebody in custody on a traffic stop or something, and you might want to come and talk to them. And California passed a law last year saying that businesses and local law enforcement are uh, prohibited from doing that. Well, it's a little bit more limited than that. The, the laws that the federal government's suing over, um, the, the business law says that if ICE tries to raid a business, that the, the business owner can't let them in, let the, can't let them see non-public areas unless they have a warrant, and can't just give them open access to business uh-huh. records. Okay. Yeah. And then, and so it's kind of the same for law enforcement. If there's a particular process that's gotten established over the last decade or so where when somebody's fingerprints get run when they get booked into a jail, ICE gets alerted if they ping as an unauthorized immigrant, and then ICE can mm-hmm. request that they mm-hmm. be transferred into custody. Uh, those requests now can't be honored unless the person's committed a particularly serious crime or, again, unless ICE has a warrant signed by a judge. So it's basically, uh, if we ask you, you should have the ability to cooperate with us, whereas California has passed these laws saying, except in particular circumstances, state laws that you don't. Mm-hmm. So... Isn't it really that ICE, they they just want everybody to kind of do their job for them, almost? It's, that's, 
Definitely. I, I think I'm, of it I'm more speaking as, as a Californian. Obviously. Sure, sure. I mean, it's so the but, federal government thinks of it as a force multiplier, right? Like the federal yeah. government does not have the resources to deport 11 million people. Uh, they don't even have the resources to find or deport anywhere close to that. The reason that, that they've been able to deport even the 200 to 400,000 people that they've deported every year uh, since the beginning of the, or since really the mid-Bush administration, is that they've been able to get cooperation from local law enforcement to kind of help them out with these database fingerprint pings, with just calling ICE up and transferring custody, giving them, allowing them to skip the step of, step of actually tracking the person down. Mm-hmm. So with what California is doing right now, ICE has to actually track somebody down after they're released from jail. ICE argues that this is more disruptive to communities to, like, pick somebody up in their driveway when they're taking their child to school, uh, that it's more dangerous for agents, even though ICE agents don't really tend to get, you know, threatened or caught in crossfire very much. Um, But California is just saying, well, we're requiring you to have a warrant signed by a judge rather than just saying we're ICE, therefore you should do as we say. That's kind of legally that's the dispute there. Mm-hmm. What's kind of going on more broadly, though, is like Sessions wasn't just complaining about the parts of the law he actually sued over. He was also just complaining about the breadth of the law that California had passed, period, and the fact that California has made itself very explicitly a state that is trying to minimize the fear of immigration enforcement in its immigrant communities. And that is very much not the stated position of the Trump administration, which is if you're Mm -hmm. here without papers, you should be looking over your shoulder. And it's very unhelpful for, you know, for them as policy as well as politics to have a state standing up and saying, actually, we are here to protect you. So uh, Jerry Brown had a, uh, um, I I thought, an, um, a different take on what Sessions was all about and why he was doing this. Um, he sort of cut right through. This attorney general is maybe he's trying to keep his job because uh, the attorney general, the president's not too uh, happy with him. But we here are going to stick uh, to the facts. Uh, we're going to stick to the law and uh, certainly we'll meet uh, this litigation uh, fully. So, Hunter, from what you've seen, he might have a point. Yeah, I mean, you know, (laughs) Jefferson Beauregard Sessions has been uh, subject of persistent rumors that the president's unhappy. And, I mean, more than rumors, he's just bashed him on Twitter. Yeah, Um, his conduct disgraceful. Yeah, so this would be a good way, you know, to (laughs) attempt to curry favor with the president. And, you know, we should keep in mind, while they may not have the power to deport large numbers of illegal immigrants, they have managed to deport 43% of the White House staff. So (laughs) I think Jeff Sessions really doesn't want to get deported from from the DOJ. See, I kind of see this the other way. Like, you've had even Republican members of Congress going, oh, my gosh, why is Sessions still keep staying in his job? Like, he's being humiliated. If my boss hated me that much, I would just quit. Sessions is here because going to Sacramento and talking to law enforcement agents about how they're awesome and their state government is protect is preventing them from doing their job of rounding up immigrants is like that is why Jeff Sessions is in this position. He is like. Going after, quote unquote, sanctuary cities has been a thing he's been trying to do since he got into the attorney generalship. He was thwarted from his kind of first plan, which was to attempt to block cities and states from getting Getting federal grants. Those have gotten held up in court. It's become pretty clear that legally they don't have the best foot to stand on. So he's now kind of escalating. But, you know, if if I'm Jeff Sessions, I this is the kind of thing that 
makes my job worthwhile and allows me to tune out all of the noise coming from the White House, because like it or not, whether or not Donald Trump recognizes it, Jeff Sessions is the member of the Trump administration who is being most efficient and really least he's he's getting into the least trouble now in the white you know in office of any member of the Trump administration he's the one who's really implementing the policy agenda that Trump supposedly has well I, I think you're touching on something really important there which is that Jeff Sessions is a true believer on this immigration stuff I mean various people have gotten always drawn, has been right yeah, yeah. J- j- various people have gotten drawn to Trump for various reasons I mean we were talking about Gary Cohn who's a Democrat who's probably there because he loves tax cuts or was there because he loves tax cuts um, Jeff Sessions Sessions has always been an immigration hardliner, and there is a little wing of hardliners in the White House who are crafting immigration policy, and that includes Jeff Sessions' former deputy, Stephen Miller, who's really been key in the West Wing on this, and Miller's being assisted by Julia Hahn, who's this aide from Breitbart, uh, or, or aide, excuse me, a former writer from Breitbart, mm-hmm. and I profiled her a while back, and everybody was saying, you know, especially when Bannon left, that, you know, she would probably be out of there if she saw that President Trump wasn't going to make good on some of his more hardcore immigration promises. So the fact that she and Miller are still there is very telling. And I think you're a thousand percent right that the fact that Jeff Sessions, I mean, it's almost heartbreaking, right? Like he was one of the first people to back Trump because he believed in this and he's sticking there even as he's getting just beaten up day by day. Right. I mean, I think at the same time, like, recusing himself from the Russia investigation, which is obviously kind of his original sin in the eyes of Donald Trump. Um, I think at this point we can say pretty clearly it was the right move for Jeff Sessions to do that when he did. He, he got for, there was like a couple of days in there where the story of the Sessions DOJ was going to be Russia. And even though the story of the DOJ has continued to be Russia, Jeff Sessions has been able to pursue an agenda that is totally independent of that and hasn't run into a lot of obstacles. I, I you think, don't see mm-hmm. people saying he should be removed from office because of the Russia stuff, at least nobody who actually would have the power to do so. I think you're being very persuasive. And during this show, Jeff Sessions is likely to slide into your DMs and ask you to please make this case to President <laughs> Trump for him. Yeah, right, because, I mean, yeah. I, I think you're but a thousand yeah, but percent I th- right. I think the other but, thing here is kind of, you know, Sessions cares about the GOP more. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, that's, that's fine. I'm um, just but like, the there is a, cu- there is a kind of, um, <laughs> of ongoing kind of background story of what is the GOP going to be like once Donald Trump is no longer president. And for people like Jeff Sessions, who was pursuing Trumpism before there was Trump, having something that they can point to and saying, this is what was successful and it doesn't have anything to do with the particular man who was in the White House is very compelling. Right. I just, the point I want to make is I find it uh, d- deliciously or disgustingly ironic that Jeff Sessions is such now out there saying states don't have the rights to do this. And this is a man who for years, most of his career, um, flew under the battle cry of states' rights as a euphemism for segregation now and segregation forever. So. And he, he's saying the same thing on pot, and he's having the fight yes, with some exactly. of the same players, yes. including California. Right. On pot, and by the way, on net neutrality as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So suddenly, you know, states' rights is a Yeah. A and Jerry Brown actually for... went there, too, I think, right? He said uh, that he well, didn't want to hear about secession from a senator from Alabama. Oh, he did? A former senator from Alabama, oh. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this know is... The, the other thing is, if, on the yeah. legal point, then we got to get on to some other issues, but mm-hmm. uh, my understanding is that Sessions is using... Uh, as his basis of his legal argument, 
a decision that was won by the Obama administration against Arizona because Arizona was going too tough. And they said, no, you're going too far. You've got to follow the federal guidelines. It was the Joe Arpaio thing. Mm -hmm. And now they won that. You have to follow the federal guidelines. So Sessions is saying we're going to apply that to California. That's another thing where the the rhetoric Uh, goes way ahead mm -hmm. of the actual legal argument. Like the legal time they're citing... Arizona is this, like, one phrase in the Arizona argument that says it's good for states and the federal government to share information. They're not actually citing the thrust of the argument. But Sessions is going around saying, well, the Supreme Court said it. Right. But it's important to remember, particularly in terms of executive orders, that during the Obama years, there were a lot of people saying, hey, look, he's doing a lot of things to, you know, increase and cement the power of the executive and maybe overstep. And maybe you're okay with it right now because you like what Obama's doing. But he's creating a lot of precedent for someone else. And now we're seeing Donald Trump take some of that executive power. I take a little bit of exception to that in this context because... The story of immigration policy over the last kind of 20, 25 years has been that a bunch of things got teed up in a 1996 law signed by President Clinton, but the infrastructure for them didn't get built in until DHS was created in 2003. So this kind of local, state, federal cooperation on immigration enforcement is a very good example of that. There hasn't been any legislation on it since 96, but there kind of was this this very sketchy skeleton. And then President Bush and followed by President Obama, followed by now President Trump have all kind of turned this into a bureaucratic system. So by this point, the Trump administration is saying we have a federal system. It's your obligation to follow the federal system because of this 1996 law. But that's something that I think was longer in standing than what President Obama did. All right. So, Hunter, the president has been having a field day lately with tweets about the fact that March 5 has come and gone and Democrats still haven't delivered on DACA. Uh he says, well, I'm ready to make a deal. It's the Democrats who are dragging their heels. What's going on? Well, look, when this when this first went down and we saw that, you know, mini shutdown, um, there was a lot of anger among progressives um, about how Senator Schumer um, mm-hmm. handled yeah. or you might say mishandled that. Um, so I do think there was a little bit of a window to get something done. Um, and the Democrats did not within that window. And we did see so president they decided that they would. Right. And we did see President Trump put out a framework um, that, you know, includes DACA plus in a way, because it includes people who didn't sign up for DACA getting those protections yeah. who would have been eligible. But getting missed citizenship. The yeah. So so we have seen the Democrats kind of miss this, you know, slow pitch down the plate. Um, the point that I like to make, and I think we just have to make it because this deadline has passed. And, you know, it's only through the courts that we've not seen more people losing protections. We are already seeing, I think, uh, some advocates have told me up to a thousand people lose protections a day. The key- yeah, that's not ISIS or USCIS has since put out numbers that indicates that it's actually much slower than that, which is actually a problem. Right. Because it means that as that what's happening is is much slower and more out of sight for Washington. Well, I, ju- I just want to put this out there because it affects friends and family of mine. Mm-hmm. As we have this hardline rhetoric and this legal uncertainty and this, you know, situation where we're seeing um, ICE do random checks and, you know, we saw in Jersey, a Jersey transit conductor get suspended for warning that ICE was checking IDs on the train. Well, there it was are suspended people- because it was a false alarm. 
I don't know that I believe that, and I will tell you why. Because I was on an Amtrak where they came on to do um, random checks, and then they told me that wasn't well, happening. I bet you but, that but, was CBP and make your point. Yeah, my my main point is that there are people in this country living with their entire lives uncertain, their entire lives in limbo, every day in fear. And we can sit here and we can we can talk about the politics of it. We can talk about the various rulings and game it out and what might happen next. But as long as this situation is so uncertain and enforcement is so aggressive, there are a lot of people that you and I know yeah. that we see every day who are really under threat. So I think Darren, that that's exactly when, why we need to be like very precise in telling people like what you know, what is going on. I, I saw I was very frustrated with Democrats when the court ruling came down in, in January that more of them weren't saying you can now apply for renewal if you currently have DACA. You can get yeah. you know, get that application in there. I think it's very important to be precise because people there is a lot of misinformation out so there. So when are when is there going to be any certainty about DACA? And what has to happen now? Can the president who put this artificial deadline of March 4, 5 up there in the first place extend it? The artificial deadline always mattered a lot more for Congress. Um, it, it, it was it, what his administration was doing didn't change on March 5th. It was just the consequence of what they stopped doing last fall. Um, so ultimate certainty is always is going to have to come from Congress. That's always been the case. That was what... You know, even President Obama and Democrats in 2012, when they created DACA, were saying this is not ultimate certainty. Uh, this is something that the next president could take away. So that's, you know, March 5th doesn't change any of that. The short term well-being of DACA, as Hunter said, is in the courts. And that's probably given that the Supreme Court has rejected the Trump administration's request to skip a step uh, and hear the case directly, it's probably going to take something like a year uh, to to get that resolved. So meanwhile... But but meanwhile, people can currently, you know, people who currently have DACA can apply for renewals. can new people... New people cannot. cannot. And pe- that includes people who were too young because DACA is only eligible to people who were 15 or more or older. And so it's... Not there are kind of this generation of kids who are coming into being eligible where they would be eligible to drive or eligible to work, uh, which is the point at which a lot of DACA recipients found out they were unauthorized immigrants to begin with. Uh, and that does have serious mental health consequences to kind of find out that you're not like all of your classmates. You don't have the opportunities that they have. So they're now coming into that. Yeah, I, I must say um, my my heart and sensitivities and support are with the DACA kids and the, making the DACA, DACA program permanent and even building a bridge to citizenship. But on the public relations side of it over the last few days, I think Trump is winning the war. I mean, I don't really understand what the Dems messaging has been on this, um, they, they, largely since they walked away from the shutdown. If you're, if you're they've saying, almost walked away from the issue. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was internal polling or what it was. I know a lot of people are, are pretty upset about it. Um, I think they sort of have their eye on 2018 and, and turning certain states more than this, which which in a way strategically makes sense, even if you're going to sort of you know be cynical yeah. and callous about those people I was discussing before. But then why did you make this your issue in the first place? Why run into battle waving this flag and then drop it and walk away? I don't understand it from the strategy. So I feel like what happened is that Democrats actually thought that Trump was interested in getting congressional Republicans to a deal once he decided that he wanted to do something. That was their mistake. They realized at some point 
uh, at the you know maybe in January with the infamous shithole country countries meeting that they were wrong about that. But I think that they owned this because. You know, they can't make a deal with Donald Trump. They tried on a couple of occasions to make a deal directly with Donald Trump. And there are two problems there. One of that, those is the White House, uh, at, you know, outside of Trump. And one of those is Republicans in Congress. And so they realized that if the president wasn't willing to subdue those two groups to get a deal through, that they weren't going to be able to get anything done legislatively. And so I think that they have... You know, they've stopped trying to pretend that something like that's going to happen. I don't understand why they're not. We're just out of time. I don't understand why they're not raising more hell in Congress and yeah. made, and forcing a vote, because I think that uh, uh, it's the right thing to do. And it's a good issue for them. But there we are. Daryl Lind at Vox, Vox.com. Thanks so much for coming in. And Hunter. Um, <clears throat> We had a lot of fun. It is stormy time. <laughs> we oh, had a no. stormy time. Indeed. We're getting from, stormy weather for the playout. From yeah. Yahoo. Yahoo.com. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it for today, folks. Have a great day. Come back and see us again tomorrow. You this know, we'll be looking for you. Bill Press Show.